Hey everybody, I'm Josh. I'm Andrew. I'm Garrett. And I'm David. You're watching and or listening to Ooh. so many sequels. David has a nice prop to demonstrate. This is legit how they shot every episode. <laughs> to demonstrate what movie we're Put talking about. Put the wires up. Put the wires up. It comes on this nice stand. What does that mean? Apart. I did nothing. All those ships are on wires. Oh. I got all my micro machines in the other room. I still have my micro machines from uh, from generations. And you oh, didn't yeah. get them out. So what? And you didn't get them out. Uh, I'll get them out a little bit later. When would they ever be relevant? If not, other now. than right now. And where? And why? What you mean? You gonna get them out later? What part of later is, is it gonna matter? You gonna interrupt the recording just to get up and go get your damn micro machines? Oh, he's gonna take. <laughs> he's gonna. Time. He's gonna disrupt this whole damn recording. That's just okay. To I'm, gonna keep, I'm gonna keep talking. Yeah, he can go. So <laughs> today on the show, if you watched our um, uh, sequel reveal, mm, sequel reveal, Ooh. our sequel reveal video, uh, yeah. you you will have seen that we are talking about the uh, Star Trek Next Generation movies. That's, that's right. our that's our current series, and we're kicking it off today with Star Trek Generations. Well, you know, there's a ton of Star Trek movies. There are ten um, ori- original Star Trek movies before yeah. the Kelvin timeline. Um, so Four. we decided instead of doing ten movies, we would split them up. And this time, the sequel chose the Next Generation, which is why we're starting with uh, the uh, the Generations movie. So yep. Hopefully that wraps or puts away any confusion there. Explains so, that quite oh, well, did, Josh. I, I think you did a great job. Andrew just has a tinier that. version of of David's cooler toy. Yeah. I also, so uh, you're you, okay. I need. Oh, okay. Stop right there. Keep it. Don't move it. Now, David, pick up your Enterprise. <laughs> and I gotta get it back. Hold off it up this, to the screen. Get back off this stand. Woo. Okay. Have it face the other way. Oh, <laughs> don't he crash just it! Blew up the Enterprise. What's he wrong just, with you? He crashed. Man, I spoiled the end three. of the movie. You know, if you guys aren't watching us on YouTube, it's a lot more fun. I tell you what, this is this is this is riveting audio right here. Is mm-hmm. Andrew is holding up a tiny Klingon? Yes, bird of prey. Bird of prey. Not to be confused with the Romulan warbirds. What about the Harley Quinn version of it? That's a different thing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and then I have a a, a twelve. Is. Uh, one I don't know, twelve gauge yeah. shotgun, like an eight inch, very very fragile. Clearly. Star Trek Enterprise D. Now uh, now yeah. I need David to make phaser noises at pointed at the bird of prey. Wait, am I am I even with him on his? Y- yes, oh. yes, I've set it up where on my screen you're do, even. Do, do, do. And now, <laughs> perfect, perfect. Like the Enterprise is chasing. All right, and scene. I'm embarrassed for us and all. And scene. Hey, who? two people on this stream are not playing with toys. Hey, this is not a toy. This is a model. It belongs so. in a museum. Action figure. It's not a doll. It's an action <laughs> figure. The fact that I'm playing without picking it up at all is really like a disservice to the, to the, to the thing. So uh, I also have the Excelsior right here. Look at that. I have the Excelsior. Oh Let's get it on track, boys. Okay, okay. We're still on look, track. Look, look at this. This Enterprise yeah. separates. Oh. Yeah, it did that in the movie. Whoa. Yeah. Well, it does it here right now in Andrew Nichols' living room. 
you say how I saved the day with it? <laughs> oh, All right. Back on track. Uh, <laughs> Star Trek Generations came out in 1994 and bridges the gap between the original series cast and the Next Generation cast. It also premiered just after the end of the Next Generation's run on television. So they're kind of transitioning from television to the movies now. So they brought back um, much of the original cast, though not all of them, and I'm sure we'll uh, talk about that a little bit because some of those stories are interesting, uh, to help kind of pass the torch to uh, Captain Picard and the rest of the Enterprise D crew. So, um, I have seen this movie before. David has seen this movie before. Pretty certain Andrew has seen this movie before. Garrett has not seen this movie before, so now we'll start with him. What did you think about Star Trek Generations? Was it your first, it was your first time to see it? It was. So, have you seen any of the first the next gen movies? No. So, okay. uh, so first, as much as first one. As much as I enjoy Star Trek, I am not as well versed in Star Trek as you three. Um, so I'll likely take most of a backseat for these movies. But um, I was really digging it, man. Is this straight up was a five star movie until until the Enterprise crashed, and then it then the whole movie crashed. It was all symbolism. The, I was really into the action. I was really into the story. I was really feeling the Star Trek elements that they were giving me. And then right when um, Dr. Sarum was on the planet and Picard got beamed to the same planet, right about there, the whole vibe of the movie changed. And it was this quick paced, good storytelling. And then it was just like, mm, we're going to pump the brakes and let William Shatner ride a horse for a little bit. And that really took a tailspin for me. And uh, by the end of this movie, I was just dying for it to be over. Um, I remember asking how long it was, and Josh was like, this is under two movies, and I did not believe hours. it. Hours. That's what I meant. Two hours, under two hours, and I straight up did not believe it. It felt like we had watched that movie for two and a half hours by the time it was over. So it was kind of a... I don't know, man. I was, I was really into it. I was digging the way that it started when you bring the old crew back. Um, I was really confused when you saw Malcolm McDowell and Whoopi Goldberg again. And I was really just like, what is going on? What is happening? Uh, and then total disinterest. David, we cannot hear you. I don't know if you're muted. That's very interesting. Sorry, I, 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 was, I was making some adjustments over here and I didn't want them to be heard. Uh, it's a very interesting what Garrett has said. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay. I, have, I have complaints with this movie too, but they don't really follow that, uh, follow that, uh, that particular uh, thought line. Well, what are some of your complaints then? And we well, can all kind of go around and then address them as I they have, come up. I have, a lot of, I have a lot of love deep down in my heart for this movie. This is one of those movies, I think we all have them, that uh, you associate with your parents. I, so the, I, but my mom started watching Star Trek. Um, she watched the original series, and then she watched The Next Generation, and then she introduced me to it. And so I watched this movie when I was like seven years old, and I loved it. Loved it. It still holds a very special nostalgia place in my heart whenever I watch the movie. 
uh, though I'm, I'm being older now, I can kind of see some of the complaints that have been lobbied at it over the years, but I, uh, they're not really enough to make me hate the movie or anything like that. For me, the real problem for the movie is watching it as a fan of Star Trek. I feel like they go, they do a lot to try to serve the fans, but the things they do leave it a little underwhelming. I think it's fine. I think it's a perfectly fine transition from the TV screen to the big screen and a nice and a fine transition from the original series movies to the next generation. Um, but if there's a problem, it's a, it's just fine. You know, like there's nothing really groundbreaking here. There's nothing like overly super special. You know, they, they give data his emotion chip, which he never, he, 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 he thought about a few times in the show once he got it, but they never went all the way with having him giving him emotions. And that's a very interesting story, but it's more so played for laughs at times and it kind of gets buried by the end of the movie. I think for me, the real disservice of about this movie is that it's a Picard and data movie. And a lot of the TNG movies and even a lot of the show is Picard data. They are, they are, they're kind of the most dynamic characters on the show. All the other characters, all the other principal characters feel like afterthoughts. Like Riker, Worf, Geordi, they all are basically just doing their job as Starfleet officers. And then Dr. Crusher and Troy are basically just afterthoughts. Like they're glorified extras. Um, there's no real story for them in this movie. Um, they have a handful of lines. Uh, Dr. Troy's most meaningful thing in the movie is when she gets Picard to uh, talk about his struggle since finding out that his, his brother and his nephew had died in a fire. And while it's a good scene, it's his scene and she doesn't really do anything after that. And Dr. Crusher does, I, I can't even tell you like pivotal scenes she's in. So it doesn't feel like it was an adaptation for the full, for the full cast, which we will get next week when we do first contact. This felt more like it was a very specific type of movie to sort of pass the torch, both metaphorically and physically, between um, Kirk and Picard and the old series and the new series. And I think it does all that just fine. I, I, I just kind of, uh, my only real complaint is I, I kind of don't feel like the show got its full representation in this movie. That said, everything else, the lighting is, it's professional quality lighting as opposed to the show. It's, uh, you know, extra, like the special effects still hold up, I think for the most part. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, you know, you can't really go wrong with, uh, Patrick Stewart as your, as your, 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 your emotional center of a movie. So I, I really do love it, but I've grown to, you know, uh, growing up, I've come up with some new complaints. Yeah. What, <laughs> what I found funny is not too long into it when we started it, Garrett, you were shocked that this was 1994. You thought it was much older. Yeah, man. Listen, I've said this before, but you throw William Shatner, uh, Patrick Stewart, and Malcolm McDowell. Those are three men who have been 75 years old for the last 20 years. I don't understand it. <laughs> those three men look like they've been old for a lifetime, for my yeah. lifetime. I've never seen those three men young. And so when you <laughs> said it was 94, I was. Yeah, yeah my, wife, was my wife was, goes... In the, is Shatner, in the 80s. My, my wife goes, is Shatner that much older than Stuart? And I looked it up, and there's a 10-year age much. difference between the two of them. That's it. 
Okay. Shatner's we, 89 and, and, and uh, Stuart's 79. Before we unravel too much, I want to hear from Andrew now. Yes, Andrew. So I have loved this movie ever since I saw it whenever it first came out. And this movie in particular was, it, it holds something hold something dear to my heart because I grew up I grew up on Star Trek I grew up on Star Trek the next generation mm-hmm. and I and it, it's such a sorry my internet's kind of bugging out um, mm-hmm. yeah it is if, if, I, if it freezes up just send me a text uh, but Really, what I what I loved about this movie, what I lo- what I still love about this movie is, yeah, it's a nostalgia factor. Like, it's a nostalgia factor, and yeah, yeah, so far you guys have pretty much nailed it when it comes to it's a Picard and Reich, uh, a Picard and Data, Picard and Data movie. The characters, the main supporting characters, really don't need to be there. It doesn't feel like, like it. The only the only person the only real supporting character that needs to be there is Jordy because he does hold something to the story. Mm. But um, I I wish that Totally and Soren, Doctor Soren, had a little bit more character depth, and we found out a little bit more about him because I think he's an interesting villain. Yeah, I think he's a really interesting villain. My complaint is, my complaint would be probably with the Nexus. Like whenever they all, whenever uh, the shockwave obliterated the planet with everybody on it, everybody died, they're in the Nexus. And that's my only thing, is that... Elaborate on that. Yeah, what do you mean? Well, like, what is your complaint? Like the first time it happened, the second time it happened. What the is second your complaint time it about the night? Okay, why though? Go into that because I don't understand what you're saying. Okay, so when when he when he ends up when he ends up at Kirk's house, mm-hmm. when he ends up at Kirk's house, and all of a sudden everything is just kind of coming undone. It's just like, what what's going on? Where are we at? And then. I, I just had a hard time. I just had a hard time with the concept of the nexus. I know it was kind of, it was kind of laid out in. It was kind of laid out in earlier in the movie, but I had a hard time conv- convincing myself like, what's going on here? I kept getting lost. And that oh. that was my. Does that answer your question? So I also brought up the nexus, but it was a little different. So like I understand what the nexus is. The nexus is this uh, mysterious alternate reality where whoever is wrapped up in it is what they called uh, what the Goldberg's character called content. Um, it's what they want, uh, whether it's subconscious or actual things that they want, the Nexus is able to bring that to life. Um, for me, the problem I had with it was when Picard was in it and what is Goldberg's character? Guinan. Guinan. When she was explaining Nexus, and talking about how space and time didn't matter, or time didn't matter within the Nexus. I got that. I'm okay with this. This is where everything makes sense to me. But this is, again, a trope of of time travel movies where what happened in real life, where 
McDowell or Soren blew up the planet, shifted things. The enterprise got blown up. They all of the sudden went back in time in real life, in real time, where it was just explained that within the nexus, time didn't matter. So they left the nexus to go back in time. And that's where I was like, okay, what? Because those events have already happened. So now you're telling me that the nexus is this weird time traveling system that I don't feel like was accurately portrayed. If they wanted to portray that, they could have. Um, but to me, it came across as when you're in this nexus, things are different. Mm -hmm. When you come out of the nexus, as you see in the beginning of this movie, you're back in real time. Yeah. And so that was my problem with it. Well, they never quite explained because, so what we were to understand, yeah, like you said, it, it is kind of, it is a little confusing because they somehow, Kirk and Picard are able to, at the end of the movie, leave the Nexus sort of altogether and exit it at a point in time before they entered it. Mm -hmm. So it's a little confusing because like, you could almost like, you'd almost make like a weird fan theory of they never actually left the Nexus, that they just altered, the, they, they, they went back in time and did things different and then the rest of, Star Trek from here and here, here, here for is just, you know, Picard's imaginary world in the Nexus. Yeah. I think so I like, even wrote that down. Kirk, I said, did they leave the Nexus or is this just them? Like Picard's well, new imagination is in this Nexus. I suppose what we're left to because of, because of how the movie does play out, we're left to assume that when you're in the Nexus, you can leave the Nexus at any time. If you will it. So you can leave the Nexus and go wherever you want. The problem is the allure of it, the, the, the power of the Nexus is so overwhelming that few people ever do truly leave it or even try to leave it. But you can exit the, you can enter the Nexus in the year, you know, nine, you could enter the Nexus in the year 2020. And if you want, you can exit back out in 1990. Oh, that'd be nice. So, and, and in theory or in, in principle, before you ever entered it, it's, it's a confusing concept, but if the idea of, this is a you know a, a, a spatial temporal anomaly that allows almost any form of time travel that you you wish then um it kind of falls into line that it would make sense that the nexus doesn't have hard rules you know if if it did it it would be it wouldn't be a necessarily quite the phenomena if it like some guy came in and goes no 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 you can't go you can't go wherever you want like they can do anything. Guinan even talks about like when you leave here, something will stay. Like there is going to be a part of you that never leaves. You're stuck here. Um, even if like, we don't know when Guinan and Sauron, when they were, when they, when they were pulled out of the Nexus the first time at the beginning of the movie, we don't know if that was before or after they've left. Quote unquote. Maybe they traveled back in time uh, without knowing it. And I, I think that's where my confusion is, is like, because if they are, if they are in, I feel like maybe they're in some sort, maybe some sort of an alternate timeline. I could be wrong. I don't, I don't think, think they're in an alternate timeline. So. It's one so. timeline. The next is, that a, the is a hole in space time. Yeah. Okay. This is so stupid. <laughs> Nothing exists. Everything in the Nexus was not real except for Picard and Shat Shatner, Kirk. Kirk didn't die in the beginning, and I'm mostly saying this to talk myself through it. He got pulled into the Nexus. 
which is why he didn't age over all that time. So Picard then entered the Nexus to get him, and they were able to leave the, the Nexus at the time that they needed to to get to deal with Soren. So essentially yeah, there's no alternate time. timelines. It's the same timeline. Okay, okay. It's just yeah. like you dip out of it when you're in the Nexus and you dip back in when you get out. But basically because the Nexus lets you do whatever you want, you can dip back out wherever. Like they could have dipped back out to Earth if they wanted. Like they could have just went to any point in time and just said, this is where we want to leave and the Nexus will, will, will take them there. It's yeah. very ambiguous. But luckily, I mean, maybe to it's maybe to maybe because it's 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 proven to be confusing here a little bit. Maybe to a disservice a little bit. They left. Maybe it is too ambiguous. But I think this movie is more concerned. I think one of the strengths of the movie, though, is that it's more concerned with its theme of time and legacy and what we're going to leave behind than it is about explaining a lot of the as as fans call it the Trekno babble that. Uh, they could have done. They could have had a whole thing where Data just explained everything very scientifically, and you'd go, "Oh, yeah, that makes sense." But uh, their really their big focus is on that emotional center of, you know, taking advantage of the time you have. Well, and if I can add anything else to it, maybe it's just because I've seen this movie. Uh, so many times. Mm-hmm. I really felt kind of, I think this is the time when I actually felt a little, I did feel underwhelmed by the end. It's just like, there was this, I felt like there was supposed to be like a little bit of a, of a lead up and then all of a sudden it just doesn't happen. And, yeah. and, and, and Perk dies and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, so I think this movie does. Mm, I want to talk about some. I do have some good things, but we're we're on a negative streak, so let's just keep it up. Um, I think there are some fundamental flaws in the film. One being that the only way to get these two casts together is to involve time travel somehow, and yeah. time travel is notoriously difficult to do. Yep, in film. So, and we've already talked about that. We don't need to go over the Nexus again, but we see why it's difficult. And it also, in being a movie about both casts, does a disservice to both casts. As David mentioned earlier, the majority of the Next Generation crew is kind of ignored or forgotten. And the same story goes for the original series crew, who are really just cameos in the very beginning and then Shatner doesn't come back until the very end. So yeah. it's like... A lot of fans are upset by that. Yeah, it, it's hard to give it... It's hard to make it be a farewell to the original series crew when they're barely in the movie and the only one who really gets a send-off is Kirk and it's kind of underwhelming when it happens. Yeah, Leonard Nimoy and uh, DeForest Kelly, who play Spock and Bones in the originals, they both de- declined to be in the movie. Originally, that part at the beginning with Scotty and Chekhov and Kirk was supposed to be the entire crew, the entire, the, or at least the, the entire group of principal characters that we know from the original series. Michelle Nichols was supposed to be there, and uh, it was going to be like, the, it was going to be their whole group, and those two turned it down, and I don't know, I can't find anywhere that Nichols turned it down, or if they just didn't approach her, or what, 
but Nimoy said that he was he well first of all they asked him to direct it apparently but he said based on what they had written he was content with his goodbye in the previous Star Trek movie that he didn't see there being much point in coming in to do so little and that he didn't he didn't want to play a character that was so extraneous um, or or be a part that was so extraneous and on the other hand a lot of the crew a lot of the next generation cast thought that the old crew was going to be much more involved so much so that Whoopi Goldberg was quite angry when she got to set and found out that uh, Nichelle Nichols who plays Uhura was not going to be in the movie um, because it was her it was her opinion that fans have been waiting a long time to see those two characters meet. And you have to think that at the beginning of the movie, whenever Chekhov uh, meets Guinan, he like turns around and asks her if you're okay. That was probably supposed to be a moment between Guinan and, and Uhura. Um, because Uhura was who inspired Whoopi Goldberg to, uh, to, I think, to do a lot of things, but mostly what, what made her love Star Trek. So it's kind of... Sorry, my dog is shaking. It's kind of, uh, uh, like you said, Josh, a bit of a disservice because the, the, it feels like, it feels like a, an incomplete idea Yeah. that only three of them are there and the other two are mostly just cameos and <clears throat> it builds the Spock's death, but or it builds the Kirk's death, but Kirk is not in the movie, doesn't return to the movie until like the hour and I think 28 minute mark. It's almost over, really, by yeah. the time he, he gets out, and then and then it's all the movie's over about twelve minutes after that. So mm-hmm. a lot of fans are very disappointed by that, especially because the marketing of the movie was two captains, one destiny. Like you know, everybody was so excited. Kirk will finally meet Spock. That was the that's what they promoted the movie on. And there's very little actual interaction. Being yeah. the least knowledgeable when it comes to Star Trek, let me ask this question from a person going into it. Blankly. When was the last movie made with the original cast? Do you guys know? 91, mm. I think. Oh, the original uh, cast. Yeah, probably? Star Trek 6. Star Trek, so, I believe. That's not the question he asked. <laughs> okay. It was 91. Okay. It was so here's, here's my question regarding all of this. And, and again, this is just me being an ignorant when it comes to the lore of Star Trek, but in my opinion, it's hard for me to accept that this movie was meant to be a send-off for the original cast when you've already had seven years of a TV show of people piloting the same ship mm. as the older cast. To me, they—I know that they were still making movies, and but to me, funny. that sorry. Like, I don't care. We have this whole new group of people. I don't need you. And, yeah, and that would probably get me angry because I want to make it clear, even though I am Star Trek ignorant, I do very much enjoy Star Trek. So I'm just a blank slate. But every time I've always watched it, any of the movies I've seen so far, I've always enjoyed. So fandoms, please don't hate me for this. But in my opinion, you've had seven years of a TV show of people piloting the Enterprise. You don't need to give them a send-off. You don't. They've been making movies. I know that, but if six was somewhat of a send-off, you do not need another send-off for these people who have been around since the 50s. Yeah. Well, the, uh, I think like- that you want these two to, to meet because that's powerful. But yeah, I, I mean, care. that's an Avengers-level crossover right there is the two, the two principal casts meeting. Yeah, it's the crossover you know? appeal. And uh, Star Trek... 
Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country uh, came out in 1991. So it was only three years before that this movie was coming out. And I think they started working on this movie in late 93 or early 93. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that long that we, you know, long ago that people saw them in theaters, you know, if the movie had been, if like, if the last time we had seen them had been like 1985, then maybe it'd be worth it. We just saw Kirk leading the movie, you know? Yeah. But to me, it's also feels like it's disrespectful in my opinion to the next gen cast when you're still got, the original cast make an enterprise movie. Yeah. The funny thing was that the next gen cast is, is what I've read here was actually really, really gung ho about them being in the movie. They really excited about that idea of, yeah. of the meeting their predecessors on in film, you know, and having that, that kind of uh, special moment of uh, passing the torch. Because the thing is Star Trek, the original series didn't run that long as a TV show and had a much longer life in film. Yeah. And uh, it had its ups and downs, but generally it lived on well through the run of the originals of, of, of the next generation. The next generation, while it proved itself very well on TV, was still untested in, in film. And I think a lot of the cast, the, the, the cast of TNG, thought that having those other characters there would give them a rub. That would, would have a lot of people would be like, you know, I didn't think they, I didn't, I never really bought into this new cast, but seeing them standing there next to, Standing there next to Kirk and Spock, wow, that really did it. But, but you can't win, obviously. Like no matter what, you're gonna have that. And and that is one of my main issues with fandoms in a bigger picture is no matter what you put out there, at least half of them are gonna be mad and hate everything you do. Right. Um, you you have certain people that hate this movie because the TNG people are not as represented as they feel like they should be. You have people that are mad that the original cast is not in there as they should be. Um, the TNG people are mad because they wanted them more in there, but the other, the original cast, a lot of them think very highly of themselves and want to be the stars when they're trying to hand it off to the new, next people. So like you just can't win no matter what you do. You could have put the best movie out there and at least half of the people would have hated it. Yeah, I think ultimately to pull that off, they would have needed to write a story that was more tailored to the concept of the two casts meeting as opposed to trying to write a TNG episode that featured a late return by Captain Kirk. Yeah. Yes. Now, if you, apparently that if, was going to be the plan all along. Like there was there was never really much idea for Spock or any of the rest to actually meet the rest of the cast. And if they marketed it in a way where it was these two cast meet, then I would be mad too if I got this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to go into this for, for spoiler reasons for anyone else who might be interested. But I. But David will understand what I'm talking about. So I'm just gonna say it without spoiling it too much, in case they ever watch these shows. Um, it. This movie did a disservice to these casts in the same way, though, in a more a little more entertaining fashion. But it did a disservice to them in the same way that the series finale of Enterprise did to that cast, by making them. Uh, a little in the background. They sort of made them the B story. Right. It's like when they try to do these handoffs between casts, they just can't do it for some reason. Mm, it falls apart. And yeah, I think what you were saying earlier about they needed to make a movie that was more about these two casts meeting, it would have been better because it's not really the passing of the torch. It could have been because a torch is never passed. 
If the movie were about to the two crews working together, it could have been great. But they never interact. Just Picard and Chat and Kirk. Why do yeah, I, I I never want to call him Kirk? <laughs> and I think a big part of that too is that this movie had the un, this movie had the unenviable task of also trying to be at, as approachable as possible because they don't yep. want just the Star Trek fans to come see it. They also want people who maybe aren't that familiar with the show or familiar with the last movie that yeah. came out. When you're making they're trying a movie, to be, they're trying to be a little bit more approachable than yeah. so like they couldn't, they, I guess maybe there's a feeling they couldn't just go gung ho into a totally Star Trek idea and have two to the both cast fall out of time somewhere and meet up on another, on a desolate planet. Like they had to, they, they had to really try to make sure that everybody was following along what they were doing. Um, yeah, but maybe that's enough negative. We want to talk about some of the positives that we liked. Not yet. <laughs> I got a couple more negatives, but I think they're fun. I think they're more funny. Um, Garrett already kind of uh, mentioned this earlier, but the movie basically culminates in what is nothing more than a three-way old man fight. And it's <laughs> really hard to watch because some of them can't uh, fight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a particular scene that I thought was really noticeably terrible where um, Soren and Kirk are like on some of that railing and their whole fight sequence consists of both of them going. <laughs> That's all they do. That's with, all they do because, any- because Shatner is clearly not in, not in good shape. No. <laughs> Malcolm is a bit more, but then, you know, you can't have, I don't know who's involved in choreographing. We talked about chore- choreography may have been bad, but you can't have one guy fight. You can't have the bad guy fight really well and the good guy fight poorly. So you got to make them both fight poorly. Yeah. yeah. The bad guy was whooping Kirk and Picard's right. ass. Like so, Picard up easy the first time through. Uh, Star Trek has never really been known for their stunt work. No. Uh, a really popular joke within the TV shows is to uh, drink every time you see a palm strike. But it's like, a little every more... Every character fights like this. Ah, they jab their palm right in the guy's face like that. They couldn't throw fist punches on the show because you couldn't do that in syndication, I think. It's a little more forgivable in a TV show. But it follows it through is. here. and the, It's not great. Me and my wife had a funny interaction about... I said, uh, she said, wow, this is not a really very compelling fight. Three old guys or something like that. And I said, yeah. And I said what I said about being not very known for stunts. And she said, they didn't really use stuntmen the same way back then, did they? And I said, what? Yeah, they did. I said, I said, watch. And like we watched as it went by and I was like, see, that's stuntman. Now now that's Shatner. Now that's a stuntman. Now that's Shatner. And I was like, and now if you look, you can actually see Shatner stuntman's coffee mug on this rock. Uh, It was a very, uh, (laughs) it was a very, Stupid argument. I was being a bit of a jerk about it, but uh, it's kind of funny because you have to dress your stuntmen up like old men and tell them, "Okay, now you got to fight, but you got to fight like you're, you know, two hundred eighty pound Shatner or whatever." Uh, on this similar note, I, I listen. William Shatner, mm, he's an icon and a be- a, a beloved man, mm-hmm. and I, I could never take that from him. But good Lord. And I know this is like people joke about it, but he is really, truly a horrendous actor. <laughs> he is so 
horrible. You yeah. just offended it's, Andrew to every core of his body. Andrew, listen, man. I don't. I'm not saying that I don't like the guy. Oh. Well, I mean, he's probably. I don't know. He seems kind of rude, actually. <laughs> oh no, no, no! I I he's never got to tell a story about, about going like to his, say, his thing. He's a beloved icon in in TV and film history. People still love him to this day. The man's going to be ninety soon, which is shocking because while he he looks old now, he doesn't look ninety. But he cannot and has never been able to act, (laughs) period. His whole interaction with Picard was laughably bad. Like when he's in his house, there's a point where he just goes, the clock, and just runs. And I was like, this I got rid of this clock years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. He's unwatchable. My dog, (laughs) Butler. Why? He died seven years ago. And he's like, it's my house, I think. It used to be. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it's, but it's kind of like it's half the it's half the point at this point, you know. I know, and, I know. Uh, it's just you put him next to Patrick Stewart, oh, man. a a world class actor, and it really is highlighted how bad Shatner is. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 almost it's it's like it's, and Malcolm it, McDowell for that matter. Yes, yeah, yeah they McDowell. just didn't have a lot of interaction together. Um, they uh, you can clearly see. Go ahead, Andrew, because I forgot what I was going to say. No, no, no. Uh, sorry about that. Um, no, you can clearly see that the, the chemistry the chemistry between um, uh, Picard and, and Kirk is not there at all. Like, it's not bad. It's not that like, bad. No, the chemistry is not bad. Just the Shatner acting is bad. Well, like... Shatner has the same chemistry with everyone because his acting has no range. The benefit to Shatner here is that he's supposed to be playing a character who's slightly aloof to what's going on. True. I'll give him that in this particular scenario. I don't know. Yeah, I've made made everyone angry, but like, I'm just, I'm just being realistic. He's not good at it. You know what's funny though? Watching it this time in a weird way, like I was having like in my brain, my brain was doing a deep fake on me because when I was watching it, I was like, I can actually like weirdly see Chris Pine right now. Like I'm looking at it and I'm seeing it. And I was like, I think I, was like, I think Chris Pine did a much better job at doing this at, at recreating Shatner than I thought. I, I thought I did at the time. He's kind of like, people, I could, could see it. I know the diehard Trekkies are especially going to be angry, but like, I think Chris Pine's the better Kirk. I think he, I think he is because I think he's taken little tiny bits of what Shatner did and made them seem more natural. And he's a good actor. He's a good. He is genuinely a very, a very good, charming actor. But I was like watching, and I was like, you know, I didn't give Chris Pine enough credit. He actually. Pine. What I say. Pratt. Well, I don't give either of them enough credit. Let's be fair. Let's be fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, imagine Chris Pratt as as Captain Kirk. That'd be terrific. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was sitting there thinking, like, you know, I could, I can actually see Chris Pratt a little, or Chris Pine here a little bit. Okay, now now I want to transition to the good with this, and I want to start it with this thing. Um, data. Yes. Data's, data's pretty good. Data is also... Um, Andrew. Andrew. <laughs> Andrew is data, and there you, are several evidence-based facts. You and data are the movie. same. The, Andrew, I want you to look at the screen right now, because I need you to understand that data... Are you going to show? Time. Yep. Data. And I think you know where I'm going to go with this. Data. <laughs> I hope at so. At one point in time in this movie, 
did <laughs> this. Okay, Andrew, everyone enjoy. I need you to see this, Andrew. <laughs> and he and and not only did he I do that, he did that. He did that after he, uh, out of the blue, unprovoked, just sang a song. Yeah. <laughs> I can't Which tell could, you. Like, Go ahead, Josh. And this happened. So I I said, you know what? Andrew acts a lot like Data in this movie. And I swear to you, not five minutes later, that scene happened. And if you yeah. think, and we both went. <gasps> We got to check your positronic net is what we got to yeah. do, Andrew. You got to check his emotion chip. You There's can check wrong. our social media because at some point in time, we are going to have a side-by-side video we have of Data doing his thing and Andrew, <laughs> who also did that during the wheel reveal of Cloverfield, where he also did the... <laughs> and you think I'm more- not making that? You're at your mind. One more. One more comparison. Uh, between Data and Andrew before we talk about the real actual Data part of this movie is uh, at one point he starts laughing maniacally and then tells Jordy that he just got a joke from seven years ago and that's <laughs> nothing is. Nothing is more Andrew than that. Yep. <laughs> so uh, we already joked that you're an alien trying to figure out how you work. Now I think you're an android. It's an android. He's a soon type Android. Android. He's an and, Android. That con- and that concludes, I think that concludes the Andrew Roast segment of this episode. <laughs> Next week, <laughs> tune in for Why is Andrew Like Bicentennial? Hey, we have a few more. No, we got a few more data movies to, to find comparisons. Yeah, now. We're going to find more evidence of this. I just um, feel like you're related. But oh, brother. in all seriousness, uh, data's quest to become more human was I thought a welcome addition to the movie yes. and I wish could have been given a, even a little more time. Um, but there was just too much, there's too much story going on in this movie. And I think that one got kind of pushed aside a tiny bit, but I did enjoy it. His laughing is, is terribly funny. Um, and I loved how he starts in the beginning, which is another one of my good things. And then I need to stop talking cause I'm talking too much. Um, <laughs> it all kind of kickstarted in the in the next gen crew's opening scene in the holodeck on the on the ship when uh he's trying to figure out humor and because they're all laughing when when Worf falls into the ocean and so he just shoves dr crusher into the ocean right. and they're all like what the hell yeah. man <laughs> yeah jordy comes up to him it's so funny because they're all laughing about Worf getting knocked in the water and dr crusher's like ha 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 and data's like i do not understand why are we laughing and uh, Dr. is like, you just got to get into the spirit of it. And she pushes him, he pushes him over, and, Data, and Jordy just comes up and goes, Data. <laughs> and Data's like, that was, and he goes, not funny. Yeah. Like, how confused, like, like, confuse the poor android some more. Like, Listen. what is this man? He goes, person falls into water, we all laugh. Person falls into water, I'm an asshole. Listen, I'm on Team Data. That helped. that was funny. As it well. was I funny. Laughed it was funny. I laughed a lot when he just shoved her into the water. I thought it was really funny. Uh, yeah. If if there's one thing simulated anyway, she's fine. Yeah. I agree. But like I, I will say that data was like data okay. really spoke to you and you felt connected to his character on a spiritual level, Andrew. Is that what you're gonna say? Exactly. I'm sorry, I do not understand. <laughs> mm-hmm. Go ahead. Good job not using contractions. 
Go ahead. Keep an eye on that. Um, no, I feel like I feel like Data was like kind of the uh, almost the th- it was almost the thing that was carrying this movie because like without him, without the humor of this movie, I feel like this movie would be really boring. Yeah, it would be a bit dry without that. Yeah, it'd be very dry without without Data without Data's sense of humor and and. It just keep kind of keeping things going. If we didn't have that, it it'd be a very different movie. If he was just acting data. Yeah, I I, I have a working thesis that um, if you were ever to make a list of the top ten TV characters of all time, that uh, you have to make an argument for I think Data to be on the list. Yeah, Data is a truly fascinating character that they created to that a lot of people when they first heard the idea thought, oh, he's just the new version of Spock. Spock was an emotionalist character for the original series because Vulcans are all about logic and not about emotion. And here's Data. He's not a Vulcan, but he has no emotions. But the idea that Data is an android that wants nothing more than to uh, essentially be human, to, to be like the people who uh, he's modeled to look like, modeled to, to, to act like, that he's trying to overcome this basic programming and to basically achieve equality to everyone else Nobody, for the most part during the TV show, people treat Data like a, like a friend and like an equal at times, but there's still a, a, a larger concept that Data is not normal and that some data, you know, there's a very important episode early on in Star Trek about whether or not Data has rights or if Starfleet can just order Data to be deactivated and if he can be, you know, they can replicate him and have thousands of Datas. And so Data's arc over the course of the series is wonderfully uh, 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 enjoyable. And to see it to kind of get a little bit of a, a payoff here in this first movie where Data decides to try his emotion chip that he got along the way during the show but never put in, it's a nice reward for the fans. And I think that it helped. It let Brent Spiner do and show more of what he can do because Brent Spiner is a deceptively good actor. Um, you would think that playing somebody who doesn't have emotions would be easy, but it can be very difficult to like consciously work not to ex- not to have uh, what we expect as reactions to 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 things that happen in a scene. Um, I think that uh, the funny that one of the funniest parts for me is when he finds out that he hates this drink he's been given, and he does the. I hate this, and she and <laughs> Whoopi Gold. It's great that you have Whoopi Goldberg in this situation because she goes more and he goes yes please <laughs> and he keeps drinking it. it it's it's a very la- it's a very funny moment and um i really appreciate that he gets to do a little bit more of that like you said josh i wish that there had been more towards the end because it feels like picard's story sort of takes over by the third act and we get resolution with him data's resolution is very minor um we do get a nice moment where he's reunited with his cat spot and he's very emotional but they could have tied a little bit more of his story into the main story with how data is going to process time now that he can feel um, that could have been interesting, but I, you know, I, I love data. It's hard not to love data. That's why, you know, that's why we love Andrew. You know, it's like, how, how can you not? Oh yeah. Yeah. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I do. You don't know data. That's the whole point. No, I don't know Data, but I did enjoy Data um, a lot during this movie. I agree with He's a wonderful character. With, uh, David. Um, he was really, you know, I was into it the whole time as far as watching him 
be so deadpan and then really process these emotions and, and have these emotions overtake him and, and really struggle with it. Even the part, even the scene where uh, he and Picard are trying to get Jordy back. Uh, he is so distraught because he has this moment of realization where had he not had his emotion ship, he would have been able to save Jordy mm-hmm. because he wouldn't have been afraid. And he experienced fear and he wasn't used to that. And that shattered him so much that he could not for a little bit do his job. He could not, he could not process what he was doing. And then Picard had to get, you know, he had to lay down the captain smackdown mm-hmm. and was, and, and, even then, Jordy was like, or uh, Data was seeing all of this for the first time. And it's like, it was just a really interesting dynamic for this character who, again, I don't have this connection with, but felt that connection because of the performance that he was able to d- deliver in this movie. He was able to, as a, as a person who's never seen this movie and, and not super familiar with the world, I felt connected to it. I understood it. And it felt real. Yeah, um, I'm going to add one more thing in here. I don't want to talk too long, but um, I'll just introduce this into the into the conversation, and you guys can talk it out too. Um, I don't know if you were Josh. You may have seen this stuff, and Andrew, you may have too. It didn't exist to the degree that we know about it today when Data was created in 1987. I think is when the show started. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of modern watchers or viewers who use who view Data as sort of a uh, representation for uh, Asperger's and autism. And they use data as a way to, ex- to sort of show kids a character who kind of ex- goes through those same difficulties with social interaction, because that's a lot of data in the show. And in the beginning of this movie is not being able to process why other people are, what other people are doing or saying. And, and I think that's a really fascinating idea that um, they didn't, I don't think they intended on when they created data, but it's uh, become a bit of a representation for a lot of young kids today struggling with, struggling with that. Yeah, I did not, I did not know any of that. Very interesting. For sure. Well, any other good aspects of this movie we want to talk about before we switch segments? Oh, I'm trying to think if there's anything. I mean, uh, I feel like we, we we buried a lot of the bad at the beginning. With, with a lot of it was bad at the beginning. Um, you know, I thought that the, new, the 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 film level lighting really changed the whole look of the ship um, because the <laughs> yeah. ship has a very special certain look, and the movie, this movie has like people's rooms are dark, which you never get in the show. Uh, and uh, I I thought in general it looked really cool. Um, visual effects were good. Um. How about the destruction of the Enterprise D, which is an iconic ship at that point, but then paves the way for a much cooler design to come out in the next movie? I yeah, like that. I am. Um, it's, it's a way of saying, uh, like, out with the old. It's yeah, another I kinda, farewell. I kind of thought that, I've, I, I, for some reason, my brain remembered the next Enterprise, the Enterprise E, showing up at the end of this movie. But... Um, that was not the case. Nope, we were just left not knowing what happens. Yeah. I remember as a kid being very like, uh, not devastated necessarily, but like very intrigued by the idea that the inner, that the start, that the enterprise had been destroyed. It's very sad because it is a very iconic thing. And much like my model, it is, it, it's, it's like this by the end. It's just sitting there by itself. Um, 
it felt like something they needed to do though. It felt like it felt like you know we give this movie a lot of uh, a lot of crap for being very for being kind of safe. I think, but they did do that. Did they did change up the status quo a bit? They destroyed an iconic piece of the the lore, if you will, and they would have to introduce a new uh, new enterprise uh, going forward. So I, I think that's kind of a, a bold decision. They didn't have to do that. Yeah. Well, anyone else have anything? <clears throat> I, I think I think one of my favorite sequences in the entire in the entire movie has to be the first time you see the next generation crew on the ship. I love that on the boat. Yeah, yeah, on, on the, the boat on, on the sea ship. Yeah, on the actual yeah on the actual sea ship. I thought that was terrific, and I loved how <clears throat> I loved how everything just kind of culminated there. Like, like, like they're in the program. They're in the computer program, and but it's also very symbolic that they're that they're there on a on an actual working boat, on an actual working ship instead of a spaceship. And I liked how every I, I liked that that particular sequence as a whole. Yeah, it's um, a cool juxtaposition and kind of fake out to yeah. go from the. Uh, the original series crew on this on the enterprise B. Um, and then we fast forward to the future. Literally it says 78 years later and we're on like an old rickety wooden ship. So that, that in itself is, is a funny little like, we're not, not as futuristic as it seems, but then it is. You find then it all becomes, you know, it's amazing that not the movies didn't have a bunch of holodeck stuff. Like the TV show early on was just like holodeck, holodeck, holodeck. So much holodeck in the TV. They didn't rely on the holodeck almost at all in the movies. Nope. Yeah. I mean, well, uh, uh, oh, Andrew, then David. Yep. Okay. Use your words. David, then Andrew. I forgot. (laughs) Come on, Andrew. We give you the we give you the opening. Uh. What were you going to say, Andrew? I you really don't remember. remember. Okay. I want to throw a quick shout out. I just want to say this one thing. It's something that my mom and I joke about every time we see either movie is I love that Cameron from Ferris Bueller is the captain of the Enterprise B. That was very, <laughs> very yeah. cool to me. I, For I was, a second, yeah. I was all excited and then boom, dead five minutes in. <laughs> he's, oh, he's fine. He's fine. He made it. Well, that's good. But uh, yeah, Cameron from uh, Ferris Bueller. Love Ferris Bueller. Love that. And it's it's funny because these those movies didn't come out that far apart, and yet he looks a lot older in one. Yeah, yeah, he's a fun, fun actor. All right. Well, then let's uh, move on to box office, shall we? That's right. All right. So Star Trek Generations, as we talked about, debuted. In 1999, it debuted the weekend of November 18th. I'm sorry, 1994. I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm so used to saying 99 more often than I am 94. Uh, debuted November 18th, 1994. It debuted number one with a $23.1 million opening, which is okay by 90 standards. Um, it's not necessarily the highest grossing weekend of, of, of the year. Um, I'm going to le- read off a list of 1994 movies that came out that weekend. And boy, is it... Uh, uh, all over the place. This was a decent weekend to, for the movies. At number two, you had Interview with a Vampire, The Vampire Chronicles. 
Uh, that brought in $17 million in its second weekend. At number three, The Santa Claus, which is a movie we've previously reviewed. Oh, you're all still there. Okay, good. I, I had minimized you, and I didn't hear anything, so I got very worried. Just listening. <laughs> At number, uh, so that brought in $17 million in its second week. At number four, it's Bullets Over Broadway. You guys ever seen that? Yeah. Andrew has. Yeah. What a fucking shocker. Big fan, Andrew? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that movie made Josh nine million dollars. Josh, we can't hear you. That movie made nine million. I wish that I couldn't hear you. <laughs> uh, at number five, rounding out the top five that week, it's The Mask, bringing in five Ooh. point. This is kind of a crazy number, bringing in five point six million dollars in its seventeenth week. Wow. I mean, that's a wow. long way. And it, the funny thing is, so I, because I, I, I saw the, how big that number was, I thought seventeen weeks in is still bringing in five million dollars. The Mask was super popular. It actually jumped up from the 15 spot that week. It was number 15 the week before. It jumped back up to number five. Wow. For seemingly no reason, because they didn't put it, according to what I'm looking at here, they didn't add any more theaters. I think people just really wanted to go back and see The Mask for Thanksgiving weekend or something. Oh, yeah. Good family, family movie. movie. Yeah. Family, yeah. <laughs> Good family movie. Uh, so, going back now, so, uh, with the exception of Star Trek Generations, you, had, you didn't have any other sequels in the top five that weekend. Uh, Star Trek, the next generation, would go on to finish with $75.6 million in the United States. You had $42.4 million from overseas. It gives you a worldwide total of $118 million worldwide. So where does that finish at the end of the year? It's um, domestically, it finished in the number 15 spot for 1994. Um, and here's the crazy thing. At that number 15 spot, Star Trek Generations is the highest grossing sequel of 1994. Mm. Um, nice. Which is pretty crazy. The top movies of 1994 uh, in your releases... Uh, the number one movie is Forrest Gump with 329 mil. Forrest Gump, also the best picture winner that year. One of the few times that's happened. Um, at number two, you had The Lion King. At number three, True Lies. And at number four, the aforementioned The Santa Claus. And number five, The Flintstones. Oh, yes. The Flintstones. Yeah, you want to keep reading some more? Because it's just a crazy... 94 was a crazy year for movies. Yeah, do Number six, too. Dumb and Dumber. Number seven, Clear and Present Danger. Great Number movie. eight was Speed. Equally great movie. Nine, The Mask. And at number 10, Pulp Fiction. Wow. That is cool. a good year. Overall, pretty good year, pretty crazy year for uh, the movies. Um, and that's about, that's about it for box office stats. Last week, Garrett won the game, the letterbox game. So I throw it to Garrett. All right, boys and girls. We have got Star Trek Generation reviewed by 12,108 people. Let's start the guesses. The floor is open to whoever chooses. I am going to go with 3.1. 3.1, okay. I'm going to go with 2.5. 2.5, right in the middle. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be right between them at 2.8. 2.8. All right. Okay, nobody took my numbers. That worked out. After a quick review of this, this movie has nine fans. 
nine people uh, put it cool. in their top registered Nine slot. people also yeah. watch this movie with their mom. <laughs> we have a winner who is very close, David. The uh, 2.9 is what Letterboxd Two point nine. 2.9. So David oh, will run the game next week for Star Trek, whatever it is. Win. I don't know. First contact. There we go. First contact. Oh, my favorite. My favorite movie. Same Z's. First contact. It uh we'll talk about it more next week, but first contact is I think the Star Trek Next Generation movie we all wanted. Yes. Like definitely has action. It has a sense of adventure and thrillerness, uh, or, or thriller. And it also gives more to the rest of the cast to do while still being mostly about Picard and Data. <laughs> and it features the, uh, I think, undoubtedly, by mo- I think we could say, the most popular Next Generation antagonist, the Borg. Yep. So, very much looking forward to First Contact next week. I hope that you, watching or listening, will join us. They will. They promised. What do we, we get this movie? Yeah. I give it a three. Okay. I'd give it a I would give it a three point five. Oh. Okay. Get uh, to go so low. No, I'm not gonna go so low. Um, I was gonna three. I was gonna give it a generous three. But through this conversation, I think my generosity has waned. So I'm going to go with the initial score that I believe it should be uh, and get rid of my generosity as two and a half. Mm. Two and a Gosh. half. Which, um, in fairness, is close to 2.8. Yeah. I'm going to give it a three. There you go. And our average comes out to a perfect three. Perfect three, which is just one point above uh, the letterbox average. So, yeah. point one, yeah. yeah. Okay, so we got that pretty close to what the other people think. So that's nice. Um, look for our letterbox to count. So many sequels, right. maybe so many sequels. Spot. I never remember, but you you search it, you'll probably find it. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So many sequels on all of those. And if you're listening to the podcast, check out our YouTube page where we post the video version of our podcasts as well as some other fun stuff. Some nice little news update videos that David and I do. And maybe someday we'll come up with other things we can do. Maybe if movie trailers ever come out again, we can do trailer reactions. I don't remember the last time I saw a new movie trailer. (laughs) The last one I saw was Tenet. And uh, I was was very excited about it. And then I watched it and I went, I should have recorded that. Um. Quick note on that, though. I just saw, uh, oh, gosh. I don't know when this comes out. Quite a ways down the line from when we're recording it. Never mind. (laughs) Movie theaters are going to open soon, allegedly. They may already be by the time this comes out. Yeah, we'll have already seen Tenet by this point. When it happens, we'll actually see. Um, Yeah, by uh, my calculations... This episode will come out the very week that Regal and Cinemark are expected to open. So we'll see if uh, that comes true or if we jinxed it by just saying it early. 
I can't tell. Did David freeze again? No, he. No, moved. I'm just. I'm just being he very moved. nice. Okay. I'm just listening. So that's into- that. Um, like we said, we'll be back next week for Star Trek: First Contact. Um, that's it. Until next time. See ya. We'll see you on Tuesday. May the force be with you. <laughs>